an injury can have such a de- detrimental effect on the psyche that we have to make sure we're tuning into that as as healthcare providers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I, your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, get a chance to meet cool people doing cool things, literally making a difference in the lives of people of all sorts, all types, and from all over the place. Today is no exception. Today, I have someone who I've been looking forward to meeting for a long time because while he doesn't know me, I knew him because he was a Denver Bronco. And by the way, that's my team. I enjoy the Broncos, always have being from Denver. And so uh, it's an honor to have with me and wait for it, Dr. David Bruton Jr. on the show with me. Dr. David, (laughs) welcome to the show, man. Great to have you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. So we could talk for hours. I'm going to have to watch the clock here because you and I have so much in common um, with respect to some of the background and, and then healthcare and all these other things that we're gonna talk about Absolutely. that it could go for hours. So I'm gonna make sure that I, I really try to do, dial it in for people, but this is gonna be so fun because what you've done, I think, for me is to say, you can take this incredible skill and gift that you have as an athlete, and then you can use that on the field to make a difference and change people's lives Absolutely. who are so tied to these teams and these communities. And then what you learn from your personal experience, you can transfer that into a whole nother career, the ultimate pivot in a, that now you're helping people through your, your physical therapy practice and things that you're doing. So I'm excited to talk about all of these things. And as, as we start, tell us just a little bit about yourself, kind of your background, where you're at, how you got interested or what, what drove your, your love for football and then what drove your love for physical therapy. All right. Well, I hope y'all tune in, you know, buckle <laughs> up. It's a long story. No, I can try to abbreviate it for sure. Um, I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio, originally from Dayton, Ohio, born in Kentucky, was brought up in Dayton, Ohio, because my parents were seeking opportunities, better opportunities for work and for school. So we kind of settled down in Miamisburg, Ohio. And my first exposure to actual sports and physical therapy was around sixth, seventh grade. So I was a late bloomer as far as playing football, baseball, track. I started late while everybody in Miamisburg, Ohio was like, once you're born, you got a helmet on, right? Yes, in Ohio, it's insane. It's insane, it's insane. So I was definitely a late bloomer in that regard, but I took took every bit of opportunity that I had. My dad always would joke with me, you know, you're gonna be my basketball player, you're gonna be my basketball player, because I was always the tall, skinny, lanky kid, like never was able to put on weight. And he, he would tease me. He still teased me to, the, to this day about you were supposed to be my basketball player, things of that nature. Um, but we fast forward to, to seventh grade, playing football. I start first year playing football. I remember my first big hit that happened to me, got that wind knocked out of me. That's probably the worst feeling out there. Yes. Um, and then eighth grade, I broke my leg. So that was my first, that middle school was my first exposure to physical therapy. And as, as I go through this journey, as we talk, I get a chance to share, like, I've had some bad physical therapists. I've had some good physical therapists, all in which I learned something or kind of helped me, you know, stay on track to where I am now. Yeah. But so then, they were a big part of your oh, career absolutely. all the way through from early on all the way in. I, I love um, PTS. And you and I talked a little bit before the show as a, a DC or a chiropractor. Um, my, my specialty was sports injuries. So I got what's called a diplomate in mm-hmm. sports injuries. It was a three-year program after my graduation. And I realized that the rehab is a whole, 
it's a, it's an intricate thing. And there's levels of rehab. I call mm -hmm. it level one, level two, level three, level three is, Hey man, there's these basic exercises that are going to help, you know, s simple situations. 90% of the time, level two, more complex level three. It's that person that nobody else seems to be able to, to help. And man, our PTs that are, that are gifted in movement therapy, that are gifted in the, so many different techniques Absolutely. these days, Absolutely. they, they blow my mind and they're great great primary care providers alongside of MDs and DCs and massage therapists and acupuncturists. It, the model now from, from when I played football back in, and I didn't take it near your level. I just mm -hmm. played through high school, but that was in 85. We had a general practitioner who didn't know anything about anything, <laughs> who was our team doctor. Yeah, and yeah. that's all we had, you know, small single A mm -hmm. school. And so now to see where you've come from, man, beautiful. What is your favorite style of physical therapy? What What is your model with respect to the integrative techniques? You know, my my, my style of physical therapy is uh, reset, relearn, reinforce. That's how I kind of treat. I treat time on the table where we're focusing on reducing pain, improving range of motion, resetting the muscle, activate it. Um, then we try to relearn how to properly move. You know, once we go into, once we have an injury, we, our body is such a great compensator. So we learn how to pivot and perform without properly using those muscles we do it all the time as elite athletes like 90 percent of the guys out there who's still playing they have some type of bump bruise or injury going on but they're still playing and then reinforce uh, i believe in doing more than just some therabands i believe in stressing the tissues stressing the muscles stressing the joint that's how we learn wolf's laws david's law shoot studying for school right like yes. we stress the brain to prepare for tests that's how yes. our knowledge stays in there so why not apply those same principles to pt so essentially i'm a physical <clears throat> therapist turned personal trainer turned at, towards the end of your rehab oh that's beautiful yeah. and now i want to bring in your nfl experience so first of all the the number of people that get to what you do what you got to do is so infinitesimally small compared to all the people available and even those that played the sport, whatever mm -hmm. sport it is, but in our case now, we're talking about football. I mean, I loved that game. I still love that game more than any other game, yep. any other sport I ever played. But listen, to get to that level, it's so such rarefied air. Did you understand the magnitude of your skills to, or was it just like, yeah, you just float into the next step because that's just who you were? So kind of what, what happened with me was that I, I didn't worry about recruiting. I just went out there and played. Like high school? I, high school, yep. same thing with college. I just went out there and played, and then I started getting agents to reach out to me. Like, I just went out there and played. For the love job. of the game? Just or what, what, was love that of what the was game it? and yeah. just the work ethic and my, okay. my dad implementing this, this quote to me, the way you do small things is the way you do all things. So I always put in 100% effort in every little thing that I did. So that kind of carried me through even to, the, to this day. Um, and kind of established who I am as a person at, at who I am as a, in my core. That is beautiful. I, I'm writing that down. The way I do small things is the way I do all things. Yes, I heard sir. that stated another way is how you do something is how you do everything. Yes, and, sir. But small and all, I, I love that. I want to ask you a question. This is based on a podcast I just listened to um, because, again, I don't get a chance to talk to a ton of athletes that have been at the, at the level that you've been at. Um, with respect to reinforcement, uh, emotional, mental reinforcement, mm -hmm. were you someone who received reinforcement to say, oh, man, dude, you're just so great. You're such a great athlete. You're such a great athlete. You're such a great athlete. You're such a great, whatever, student, mm -hmm. human. Or were you someone who received more praise of, 
hey, you know, great job, but it's, it, I'm more proud of you for the work you put in, for the grind that you put in, for the effort that you put in. Do, do you remember the type of reinforcement that you got? Or was it negative? Like, dude, you got to do better. Like, what was your model that drove you to this level? I think I was exposed to a lot of different models, you know, coming from Myersburg, Ohio, to Notre Dame, to the NFL, where we had a multitude of different coaches, head coaches, especially my first few years, or defensive coordinators. Just everybody mm -hmm. has their own different style. I think, it was a, I think it was a culmination of all. And just, you know, you try to – you try to adapt to the coach's style, and the coach tries to adapt to how you learn. Um, I think the coaches who have success are those who can relate to players on every independent level, not just treat us all a, a, in a box. Yes. So that it goes a long way, I think. And with all those experiences, I learned myself how to critique myself. Like everybody loves some type of acclamation. Uh, yeah, some, some praise. Some praise, some um, anything along those lines. It's just, but. When you get to that level, and as a, as a medical professional as well, how can you show professionalism in addressing where your flaws are, where your shortcomings are? How can you help the team? How can you help that patient? How can you help, you know, the special teams unit? How can you help anybody who has concussions? Like, how can you be better? And are you willing to critique yourself and not just give yourself the pat on the back? That's yeah. the hard thing for a lot of people. It's like. Well, who wants to be negative to themselves? I don't think it's negative. I think it's an opportunity for you to grow. That's so beautiful. And I'll tell you what spurned that question in my mind. Um, there's a, a guy, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and two of the folks I listen to a lot, one, his name is Andrew Huberman, and the Huberman podcast. Yep, yep, I'm a big yep. fan of that. And another one is Peter Atia, who's a medical doctor and all about longevity, all things, um, you know, all things with living uh, health style, mm -hmm. not just lifestyle kind yeah. of thing. And in one of Huberman's recent podcasts, he talked to, about the, um, the WIC study on um, mindset. And there's a growth mindset and there's a fixed mindset. And interesting thing that people who were always told, you're so smart, you're so smart, you're so smart in these particular studies, they were smart. But what happened was, is because they were reinforced about the the emotional side, the intelligence mm -hmm. that they would do worse on the same test, same level of test next time, because anytime they felt like they were facing a challenge instead of wanting to attack the challenge, they didn't want to not be smart. Yeah. So they just shied away from it mm -hmm. versus someone yep. who was told, and that's a fixed mindset, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, that, that my intelligence and my ability is fixed. Whereas a growth mindset, it was, um, you tried hard, even though you missed it. I love your effort. Even though you missed that tackle, hey, you were right there and keep grinding that those kids on tests actually did better on the second test. Yep. And so saying that we can actually be causing um, less performance when we're encouraging our patients, our athletes, our families, our coworkers by only showering them with praise. And that's my nature. Yep. My nature is all like, man, great job. Yeah, I'm praise, so proud praise, of you. Yeah. As opposed to now I'm, I'm starting to think, well, I also need to put in there Great job because, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to see if, if your experience coming all the way up through, whether it be from home or coaches, had any of that sense to you. It's just fascinating to me. Absolutely. No, I think, I think that's, that's very true. I think there's a lot of, a lot of play in that, this, the society, how, how we're raised, how we're brought up. You know, like you mentioned earlier, like it's not just the healthcare team of a DPT or a DC. It's everybody who's involved in somebody's injury or their performance, like how can we make them better? And if we're 
hindering them by only giving them praise. Like, where are they going to find the need for growth? Right. Where are they going to find that need? So good. And when you were playing, so now kind of, I'm, I'm jumping back and forth to All kind good. of keep people good. keep All people good. interested on the yeah. next piece. Um, when you were playing, when you were playing on the team that ended up winning the Super Bowl, was it as exciting and was it everything that us as football fans think it would be when you're going through the process uh, of winning a championship? I'm gonna tell you what, losing one sucks just as bad too, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they from the year one, before yeah, or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, 48 was rough. 48, that one, I remember. That one was rough. But, you know, for me, Super Bowl 50 was bitter, bittersweet, but it was everything that you play for. You play to be the best in the world. You play for that trophy. You play for the rings. You play for, you know, forever being etched in history as part of that, that team. Like, yeah. we're probably gonna go down as the top five defense ever. ever ever in the NFL, especially in a game now it's like run and gun, throw the ball, air it out, and everybody has athletes and every team pretty much has a quarterback that makes 200 plus million dollars. Yes. So we're always always fighting against against that gun. But, you know, for me it was bittersweet because like we made it. I was part of this team. I did so much. This I get to hold the trophy, yeah. kiss the trophy. Captain of the special teams, Captain, man. yes, sir. It's a big deal. Yes, sir. And, you know, I broke down and cried. Like, you see grown man crying because – you know, you worked so hard for it. Yes. And there's some guys who have Hall of Fame careers who never won a Super Bowl. Brian Dawkins, yes. Champ Bailey, like never yes. won. A, I think those two never won a Super Bowl. Yep. Got to them, got to them one time, and they had long careers, mm-hmm. long careers, and only got to it once each. Yeah. I was very fortunate enough to go twice and split it at fifty percent. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's so many guys who've had such a longer career, and for them not to get one and not to have that moment. My heart's for them, but I'm like, this is what we played for. This yeah. is, we play to win. We play to be the best all the time. Wow. And so what did you learn about leadership? Because you had one of the ultimate leaders ever on a football field and Peyton Manning mm-hmm. as, as part of both those teams, the win and the losses. Obviously, he was a different player in his final season than mm-hmm. he was at the almost seemed like the height of his powers with the numbers that you guys put Absolutely, up as a team right. in 48. But um what did you learn from maybe him as that vocal commanding leader versus when you, some of the, maybe the leaders that were more quiet and assertive from their actions or something? Because I think leadership right now is, is very much, um, it's in need. It's always been in need, mm-hmm, absolutely. but there are different types of leaders mm-hmm. and different types of leadership. I get to see that every day in the work that I do and the people that I work with that some people, like you mentioned earlier, you said, hey, some people respond to different types of coaching and feedback and all that Absolutely. kind of stuff. These different types of leaders, I think, is important. And for you as a, as a provider, you have to lead every single patient. You have to lead the your staff, the people that work alongside you or to answer the phone or anything. So what did you learn about leadership from the NFL and the championship team? Oh, I learned, I learned a lot. So like I said, I had Champ Bailey, Brian Dawkins. I had Wesley Woodyard, Peyton Manning. I had all these great guys who were in a leadership role who had to see on their chest how they went about their business professionally. So I, I saw Brian Dawkins as, you know, the quiet the quiet leader, but on the field he was a trained killer. Like it was he was yes. like the most vicious hitter I've ever seen, but <laughs> but never never cussed, right? Champ was very low key, very chill, nothing, like very chill demeanor. We had Wesley Woodyard, who was like a super hype man, jokester, things of that nature. But he handled his business on and off the field. And then Peyton, like Peyton was just super cerebral. He, he could crack jokes and things of that nature. But he could break down your habits better than you could. So wow. it, it was a whole different 
different mindset of leadership. But what I learned from those guys um, was to be myself. Like I tried being the rah-rah guy. That was never my demeanor. At college, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, things of that nature. It just, I was not that type of guy. I yeah. was more of a, let's pull you aside. How can I help you type leader? What are we missing here? I was more of that leader that sat back and listened to everybody. Okay, what's our big problems that we need to focus on? Like, I wasn't going to MF you or grab you by the jersey or mm-hmm. things of that nature. Like, yeah. yo, like, you're a young guy. You're trying to make the team. How can I help you make the team? Yeah. You know, how can I help you grow? And even if you don't make the team, how can I help you have a career in the NFL beyond that? So it's just looking outside myself because it's competition, right? The It's only 53 men on, on a team. You go in the training camp with 90 to 100, and by that third, fourth preseason game, you got to cut down to 53. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking, okay, well, I can't give them all my hints yes. or tips right, because I don't want them to take my you. job. Yep. But, but in, this, in the grand scheme of things, I was like, well, I got to give back. That's just my nature. It's like I got to give back. Like if I can get them to be better, we're going to be better as a unit. Yeah. Now I'm confident in myself to be here on this team. I want the teammates around me to know that I'm there to help them be the best version of themselves. That's beautiful. Now I want to take what you did as a rock star. You recall that one of the best special teams players in the league during your time, and you played, by the way, twice the average NFL career, right? An yes, NFL sir. career on average about four years. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is now, but that's what it, what it typically has been. And you were in eight seasons. Yes, sir. Um, you were a special teams monster. Like that, that was where, it, and I mean, you know, defensive back, all good, but you were captain on special teams. I'm interested if you had a, a thought process for us in context, meaning a lot of people in their work, their business, their um, whatever part of their lives, they might not understand that there's a special teams unit in everything, Absolutely. right? Some of the things that we think are important are the scoring right in mm-hmm. offense yep. Yep. and the defense preventing the score but the special team sets so much of that up mm-hmm. in every situation there's going to be a special teams and how important those are to the overall mission can you just speak to that like in in a business for example yep you're producing the uh, result in mm-hmm. your case you're giving great care um but there's also things of like okay, well, the marketing could be seen as special teams or some other thing like that. Can you just speak to the importance of the quote-unquote special teams aspect of any organization? I think think communication would be one of the big things for for business as far as the special teams. So for me as a cash-based clinic, having that conversation with somebody as to why to take go the cash-based route versus insurance route and educating them on you're still going to have to pay an out-of-pocket max. Here's how we can still help you and we're able to allot you more more time. Yes. So essentially what I'm saying, I can allot you more time is better field position, right? Mm, versus, yeah, right? Versus being on, you know, being on the 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is that you see at some of these high volume places some of the before shops, you go yeah. see a PTA or, or an aid or a tech or something like that for your exercises. But with me, you're starting, let's say at the 40, yes. you're at the 50, yep. you know, say you have low back pain and it's, uh, you know, you have some ridiculous symptoms and we can needle down from L5 and follow that train all the way down to the, down to the foot. And then you're better there. I'd say we started on the 10. We had a great kick return, right? Right, right. off the, right off the get, right off the bat. So, um, especially I think it's, I think the communication piece is where I see like the difference in a lot of a lot of PT clinics because a lot of them take insurance. So you don't have to communicate. You yes. don't have to, 
butt your head up as long against as you're the wall in there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's simple. Yeah, special teams is a grind. So yeah. that communication is a grind. How can you handle it? How can you make the adjustments? Are you selling it in a way where they understand? Am I doing that the same for a young rookie coming up to try to play special teams? That's that's where I see because us as PTs, like we're, we're pretty much taught the same thing. The, our differences are our experiences. That, I think that's our big differences there. So how can I how can I set myself apart? Is everybody's got everybody's got a good quarterback or a good offense? Okay, some teams do. It's not all. Uh, everybody, <laughs> not us last yeah, year. yeah. <laughs> so everybody's got a got a defense, whatever. Special teams can change the game. Yes. So if I can change the productivity just by how I communicate with people. So good. Because, yeah, I could see that also playing out like in a relationship with two people that are friends or that are family members mm-hmm. or whatever, where th- there's the basic things of, hey, we got to do this to function. But then there's these special team moments like, hey, I know what your key values are. I know what really makes you tick. And I'm going to once in a while just say thank you in one of those key mm-hmm. values. That's a special team yeah. item mm-hmm. that changes the game. So I really, I want to just highlight that for a minute because, um, you know, your your participation at something that is often overlooked was absolutely paramount in, in winning a championship. Absolutely. And, and uh, so that was special. Speaking of playing, I know you played um, one game with a, a broken fibula. Yes, sir. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's the non-bearing, predominantly non-bearing bone on the outside of the lower leg. But any broken bone is a painful broken bone. Absolutely. Can, yeah. you, can you walk us through what that was like? Because again, most people aren't going to understand this. And I want to tie it into your transition and your pivot into healthcare from just you living the life of getting in a car wreck like 27 times a game. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that was probably, that was pretty painful, you know, towards the, (laughs) towards the end of the game, right. Having to have somebody, uh, a couple teammates help me up the tunnel. Did you know Um, it was broken? No, I thought it was just, I thought it was just a calf cramp where you got whipped in the leg and just shot. Yeah. I just thought it was just seizing up and whatever. So I would try to have trainers or, our massage therapist work on it. Half time on the sidelines, like, okay, y'all can't touch it. Just don't touch it. Let's put a sleeve on it. I'll be good. <laughs> like, just don't don't touch it. But, you know, it happened in the first quarter, and I was I played 70-plus, 80-plus plays on that leg, you know, having to cover the tight end, have to cover uh, Antonio Brown when he's in his prime, you know. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger was still, still there and do special teams still. So I was still super busy, super active in that game with that broken mm-hmm. leg. And – I think what what this transitions to, what this pivots to, is the mental toll that it took on me to hear that I was just going to ask. I was going to be put on IR after that game. Yeah. Did an X-ray there, showed nothing. Did an MRI when we got back, showed that I had a cracked fibular head. And you know, thinking broken bones takes five, six, seven weeks, maybe. You know, obviously I'm gonna be in the training room all the time. We'll do the bone density scan deal, things of that nature, whatever we need to do to kind of heal it up, but getting taken into that training room and then going to see Coach Kubiak at the top and he's telling Brute, we're gonna have to put you on IR. Like that was a shot to the stomach. Like mm-hmm. it hurt so so deep where to the point where I I cried. You know, it's like it was it was heavy. And like the emotional toll that it took on me at the at the time, like I never smoked before in my life. Never smoked a cigarette or anything a day in my life. After I got put on IR I started I started as a way to cope. Yeah. Because I just could not like I couldn't go out there and practice. I couldn't play. I was having the best season I've ever played. Coach Wade Phillips gave me that opportunity to play on defense. Like everybody saw me strictly as special teams. 
I'm over here leading the team in interceptions, causing fumbles, saving the game, giving us a chance to have a final drive, like all these moments, and it just got cut short. And thinking about that six weeks, I'm like, I could run, I could jump, things of that nature, and come Super Bowl, come the AFC Championship game, I'm able to jog around and run, come Super Bowl, I'm able to jump, high point a ball, things of that nature. And Coach Elway comes up, John Elway comes up to me, he's like, we shouldn't have put you on IR, huh? I was like, no, and I tried to tell you, like, I would be good, but you know, they had to play the numbers game yep. and got to cut a safety to bring a safety, but then they cut that safety. It's like, so ultimately, it, to me, it didn't really freaking matter at that time. It's like, yeah. you didn't keep a safety on here to, to replace me. So, so what um, did you learn from that about yourself? Obviously, the original response to the stress was so overwhelming that you took up a habit that you would normally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not take. What did you, as that went, because we all face defeats yep. and, and we all face times where we fall down and I think we can learn from how you rebounded. Did it take you a long time to get over that or get through that? And what were the tools that you maybe used to, to get right? You know, um, it, it, I felt like it took some time after we won the Super Bowl. I was after that, I was good. You know, you know, now it's like, okay, I'm no longer depressed. We made it. We did it. Everybody Peyton, the DB room, the linebackers, everybody that I was in, like close with on the teams, like Brute, you played a huge role in this. Don't worry about it. You're good. Like I got that that yeah. affirmation there yeah. from from those guys, coaches, Koo, Wade, things of that nature. So I I was able to drop that habit. But during that time, I learned that. And for me, thinking about it now with some of my patients, like an injury can have such a de- detrimental effect on the psyche that we have to make sure we're tuning into that as as healthcare providers. Yes, we can't just look at it as an injury to the wrist or an injury to the knee or yeah. shoulder. Like we got, it's an injury to the whole dang system. Yes. It's a biopsychosocial model. Like we have to pay attention to the whole thing. Like biologically, we know the tissue is going to heal. We know mm-hmm. it's going to heal. So, socially, what are the pressures that this individual is facing? Are they going into their senior year of high school? Are they going into the Super Bowl? Like what are they potentially going to miss some of their senior season? Like we got to take into to that societal demand. Do they have camps? Because, you know, yeah, year-long stuff now. year-long stuff now, right? And then, then psychologically, how are they handling that? How is it on social media? How do they respond to that? Do they prefer being in a office space? Or do they want to be in a gym where they're around, like, weights and things of that nature to still feel like an athlete? Do we still give them some type of freedom to do stuff at practice? Like, I have a, a young girl with a meniscus, and I'm like, dude, as long as you're stationary, you can do a quarter squat. Hit the hit the ball back to the girls. Feel part of the team. That's going to help you with your rehab. Absolutely. So I learned so much in that moment as mm-hmm. far as you cannot ignore the mental aspect. But how are you going to address the mental aspect if you're in a in a system where you have to see 18, 20, 25 people a day? Yeah. How do you have time to address the mental aspect? So true. Time? So true. Uh, I want to finish the NFL side of things mm-hmm. on a question. Um, because you are a healthcare provider and because I know that you've experienced concussion and that you work with concussion, which we can talk about in a minute, how do you feel about tackle football? You said that you were a late bloomer. I remember talking to Alfred Williams one time, and I know he didn't start playing until high school, mm-hmm. uh, playing tackle football. No. And so I'm interested in, you know, with, with the thought about permanency of brain injuries, multiple concussions, mm-hmm. and the serial nature of their, their significance, what do you, where's you, where do you stand on kids playing tackle football? You know, I think the later the better, honestly. Um, 
I think football football is a great sport. Football is a sport that takes a lot of skill. But I think football takes more toughness than skill, mentally and physically. Like, can you constantly get hit and get back up and do it again? Um, it's not as watered down as basketball, as baseball, softball, volleyball, where it's year-round. It's football's fall. Yes. Football is late summer, fall. They're trying to do, like, showcases and things of that nature, your camps, whatever. But it's, it's then. Right. As long as you're tough, you can learn to tackle. You can learn the skills and – but give your brain time to time to develop, you know. Mm-hmm. Give your brain time to still be able to process information. Like our brain's still growing till we're in our twenties, right? Absolutely. So like we're still so constantly banging your head, you're breaking neural circuits, you're having to retrain the brain, you know. And then think about this. A lot of a lot of youth athletes or high school high school athletes don't have access to Somebody who's trained in concussion mm-hmm. or, you know, we have the heads up tackling program or things of that nature, but how much knowledge do they know to see, okay, this person has a concussion or is it still that old adage? They got their bell rung, shake it off, go do it. Right. Go exactly. There how many yeah. fingers am I holding up? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Well, I would agree with you. Um, I had a, you know, uh, one of our kids was a bigger kid. And so he ended up coming out of high school, six, four, probably couple hundred pounds or Mm -hmm. something like that and I played football from when I was seven through high school and he had talked about wanting to play football well he was he was big Mm -hmm. his whole life and so the coaches would always be like and and this is what I told him I said look I said Connor football is a game that just because people want you to play and just because it looks cool on Friday night or Saturday Mm -hmm. It, it's a game that you have to love the process of the entirety because the, what you go through Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. it, it makes it tough to just have Saturday be worth all yeah, that unless absolutely. you like the whole thing. And and I said, so, you know, I, I'm not against it. If you want to play, you can play. But mm-hmm. he wouldn't have started until, you know, close to high school, like junior high. Yeah. But now when, with me starting so young, I just – I'm torn by it. So, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I wanted to see someone who has gone through it to the highest level and is trained medically, see what you guys thought. Do you think that's predominant thinking among healthcare providers and now even among the athletes to say, Hey, you don't have to start hitting heads with pads mm-hmm. until high school. Yeah. Is that I, common? I think, I think a few, few guys that I've talked to um, and played with talking about, they don't want their kids to even play the game of football. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, especially the older veterans, like, I would prefer my kid not to play football. Yeah. But it's kind of tough because dad played football. Yeah. I want to be like dad or I yes. think I can play like dad, things of that nature. Yeah. So it's it's tough. It's tough to find that find that sweet balance as far as when can I let you start? I know you're going to want to anyway. Mm-hmm. How can I best prepare you for that? Yeah. yeah because it's... kids now are bigger, faster, stronger, just like the league. Bigger, yep. faster, stronger. <laughs> like So impact's going to be bigger, faster, and harder. Right, right. right. You know, I think it's a great question. People should should analyze that for themselves. And so on. now as we transition into the healthcare side, um, I one of my favorite memories in the world was I got invited. I used to teach for a company called Rock Tape, right? Okay. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure, yeah, you, you've I've heard, heard of Rock Tape. Yes, sir. So um, their medical director, Dr. Steve Capobianco, is a dear friend of mine, and we had a we had a gym together. So we were part of an ownership group of this um, CrossFit slash movement center called mm-hmm. Project Move. And he got invited through that to go down and, and show the training team for the Broncos taping, how to tape basics, right? Mm-hmm. So knees and shoulders yep. and, and basics. 
And he said, Hey, you know, Jim, will you come with me? And then we'll be able to split up and, and do this. And man, I'm telling you, going into that center, it was so cool. Yeah. So I guess I haven't left football yet, <laughs> but um, it was so cool being in the facility, in the building, in the training room, and then showing all the, all the trainers, the stuff that could then be used directly on the athletes right away. So mm -hmm. side sidebar, before I ask you the question, I noticed Peyton Manning was in the room that day when okay. we were there. Okay. And here's the quarterback, best quarterback in the league at that time, mm -hmm. killing it in every way, completely dialed into what we were doing. Mm -hmm. This was for the trainers. Nothing about him yeah. as, as an athlete, but he wanted to know. And yeah. I never forgot that. I mean, here's a guy who was so astute in wanting to make sure that he knew the process of of the entire thing around him, mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, I get it. Yep. I get it. Yep. Why this guy is who he is. But anyway, um, with respect to types of work that you do, I know taping has become a really big part of many, many clinics. And then um, grooving certain patterns, meaning that, like you said, restore, kind of restoring the function, mm -hmm. that if you get an abnormal pattern moving correctly, you got to groove that pattern so mm -hmm. that in the memory, it becomes like, oh, that's how I do it. I don't do it incorrectly, I do it this way. Yep. Are you finding specialty techniques now and some of the things that you're learning, even that have developed since you since you got your, your doctorate in 21, new kind of cool things to help you do what you do? You know, I think I think the medical field just is always, always changing, always advancing. So you have to stay up on top of that literature, right? So um, one big thing that I learned a lot, uh, learned from one of my clinical instructors, uh, Jessica Dietz, um, she taught me about neuroinfra, just a quick little brief thing about neuroinfra, especially with patients. So describe with what that is so that so, people know. So neuroinfra is uh, instead of like, say you're trying to help somebody with knee extension. So kicking, you're sitting in a chair, you try to kick your leg out. So a lot of people, a lot of therapists, they try to just grab the back of the calf and bring that leg up. What neuroinfra is, is let's activate the muscle that needs to be used for that action. So instead of grabbing the back of the calf, because the calf doesn't do anything with, with knee extension, put your hand on the quad, activate the quad, something like that. Put some input. So into, cue it, so yep, to speak. Yep, into, into that quad so that can activate. So that, that type of technique is something that I use a lot, say in helping somebody relearn how to walk, because something that we've done since we were 12 months, 13 months old, once we have an injury, it's like, it's like we forget how to completely rock walk mm -hmm. the body's mm -hmm. so quick to adapt but it takes forever to learn how to do it again correctly yes. it's like you've been walking forever but since you had the in injury the body's still in protect mode muscles aren't firing there still might be some swelling. there's all types of things that that come into play so i i utilize that not just for patients who have some type of neurological thing going on but also for for people with musculoskeletal in, uh, injuries because in my mind how i treat MSK is as, as much neuro as neuro is, is MSK. Mm -hmm. So you can't treat MSK yeah, they're, without they're, the, yeah, they're integrated. They're, they're, the they're muscles integrated. and the nerves, yep. are, they're just like this. As, absolutely. They so work you, as a unit. Yep, you can't isolate it to just the muscle. Sometimes you gotta look up and down that whole system. And do you um, predominantly treat certain age groups of people, certain types of injuries? I know some, some uh, organizations will specialize in athletes that are high school or college, uh, whether it's prepping them mm -hmm. for for function, some are repairing them from injuries. Others are, you know, hey, we do geriatrics. We just mm -hmm. work on the elderly population. Some are pediatrics. Is there a, a a group that you specifically specialize, or are you more like, hey, it's function top to bottom, it's, and, and 
and lifespan. Absolutely. I think it's a function top to bottom. But the great thing about being out here in Colorado, everybody's an athlete at some point, <laughs> some way, shape, or form, right? Whether they're a cyclist, whether they're an ultra marathoner, which I still think it's crazy. Um, <laughs> football player, volleyball player, lacrosse, it doesn't matter. Somebody's they're an athlete at some point in time. So I treat everybody as if they're getting ready to for a competition. Like we got to bounce back. What's your Super Bowl? Nice. What's, Is that a question yeah, you ask them? What's your Super Bowl? I what's your goals? That. Yeah. What's mm-hmm. um, and I, I learned that from next level. It's like next level physical therapy because Jim was an athletic tra- Jim was an athletic trainer for the Broncos and then he started his deal over there at next level and. Like that, I like that. I like what. What is your Super Bowl? What's your What's your U.S. Open if you're a golfer? What's your What's your World Cup if you're a soccer player? What What are those questions? Like, so we have a goal. Yes. So we have a goal, and let's let's go get it. And that's what you do, right? Yeah. Then you you measure progress of mm-hmm. whatever exercises you're doing towards mm-hmm. their goal incrementally. I remember. Um, do you remember when? Um, oh, not No. Sean. One one of the running backs. Noshan didn't blow out his knee, did he? Noshan hurt his knee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I remember taking when Noshan hurt his knee, um, he was running back here in Denver, and there's a picture of him on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I happened to have the picture. I got off the internet. And I would use it as a teaching tool to teach the doctors that I was working with. I'm like, look, at, if this guy is on the ground, how often is he going to be in the training room? How often? And they said, every day or twice a day or whatever it Mm -hmm. takes. And I'm like, yeah, you know why? Because this group has lots of money invested, not only in him, but in this team doing well. And if he's a critical part of the team, he's doing well. But I said, let me ask you a question. How is it that Noshan and his importance to the team is any better than Susie or Tom or Jake and their importance to their team, their work team, their family, they Mm got to go to work. So you guys need to create systems and plans and treatment programs that allow this person to get just as good a care as this person. Absolutely. You need to treat every person like they're no Sean Moreno, mm-hmm. right? And have you found that? Like if you, I think if you have that kind of mentality with your patients and put that standard on yourself, you're going to give the best care possible, right? Yeah. I think, and that's the beauty of being cash-based. Like I, I'm upfront and honest and telling them like, yo, we were a team, but you're going to have to take some responsibility for this too. Like even when you're not seeing me, you're still having to do that treatment. You're mm-hmm. still having to be on that rehab mm-hmm. because I don't want to just burn through your dollars. Right. Cause mm-hmm. I could, obviously I could just keep charging, keep charging, but I don't want to operate like that. I want yeah. to operate like let's stretch it. Let's use it to the best of use the visits time here. Best of our ability. I'm going to push you here. And if we're okay here, these things that we do here in clinic, you can do at home as long as there was no pain. Let's do them. Let's make sure. And so when you nice. come back around, okay, you can walk normal. That gives us the green light to take off the brace and let's start stepping into some volleyball hits. Mm-hmm. Let's start doing a little bit more active stuff, a little bit more dynamic versus, you know, just sitting on the table doing quad sets. Because if I'm only seeing you once a week, twice a week, we're going to take for It's going to take the longer, yeah. a longer time to, to get to where we need to even start walking. But if you're doing being due diligent and taking care of your business at home or in your gym or at at the practice facility, then it allows us the flexibility to push a little harder. Yeah, and you mentioned something earlier that I wanna bring it, bring to light. Um, everybody, athletes and, and quote unquote non-athletes, people that are coming in for um, treatment with you and, and are going about their lives, I think so much gets lost among so many providers, which is why I was so glad to hear you say it. 
in that it's not just about, hey, let's have you do this many sets of squats, this many sets of dips, this many sets of whatever, mm -hmm. and then we're gonna put you through this functional patterning, and then we're gonna make sure that you're good, and then you're good. No, there's a nutritional component, Absolutely. and there's an emotional component, Absolutely. because all of this affects you, like you said, biopsychosocial bio mm -hmm. effect on this, and the fact that you, that you recognize it and you implement that, I think makes you actually probably pretty rare among providers of all types. And I can see why after visiting with you here, but describe the role that you feel that that nutritional and that, that mental and emotional support mean to the healing and the function process. So let's, let's talk about concussions then with healing after a concussion. Uh, let's say my first couple of years in the league concussions, you sat in a dark room for however long till your symptoms resided, then you returned back. So my second year I had a concussion. I missed two weeks of training camp and then came back. Um, concussion rehab and protocols definitely changed after the first, after the first two, three days. Now let's start being active. Mm -hmm. But in that first two or three days, our brain is constantly trying to heal itself. So we have to feed it with some nutrients. Like we're in this metabolic demand, um, with our brain to try, like, let's get some carbs in there. Let's get some glucose. Let's get some, let's get energy to it. Cause we got to feed yeah. the strongest muscle in our body, right? We got to, got to feed it. If we can think about that with the brain now with these studies, and then after lifting, we always take protein after we lift because we damaged muscles, we shredded some, you know, try to eliminate DOMS and soreness. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we doing that after surgery? Mm -hmm. Why won't you do that after rehab? So true. Like I'm push if I have you on a blood flow restriction machine, so what it is is uh it's a blood pressure cuff that calibrates to your to your blood pressure and occludes limb uh blood perfusion to that limb by eighty percent in the legs or fifty percent in the body. So it puts the muscle in this hypoxic state where where we do a bicep curl where we're starving the muscle re-release re but it keeps you in that starving state to uh to tell the body to trick the body to send let's send some growth hormones there mm -hmm. let's send some blood there let's try to save save this limb like our yeah. body's going to try to save it so we're sending all the good stuff to towards it while we're using that bfr we're still doing exercises we're still pushing we're still possibly stressing the tissue things of that nature I still educate, like, you have to eat something after this. Yeah. Even though it was eight minutes, 16 minutes of doing something with that, you still have to eat because we're still trying to heal. We're still trying right. to make sure the body has enough nutrients and energy because the muscle needs needs nutrients and needs carbs and needs all that protein, everything to reheal and rebuild itself. Mm -hmm. That's our structure of our body. So yeah. why are we taking it just with concussions? Let's, or, or better yet, why are we taking it just after lifting? It should be after rehab, should be after surgery, should be after right. an injury. Like, And how about in between? Like a big thing is inflammation, right? Mm -hmm. And so many of us have a pro-inflammatory diet. Maybe mm -hmm. we're taking in things into our bodies that create inflammation in the form of, you know, sugars, mm -hmm. uh, alcohols, um, you know, any number of, of high glycemic carbs. Absolutely. All these things create inflammation that if mm -hmm. you're trying to heal, you want to reduce inflammation. Absolutely. So we want to support with the fuel that these tissues need to heal mm -hmm. and then keep out the non-fuel empty calories yeah. mm -hmm. that just drive mm -hmm. and prevent, prevent healing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you push with folks too? Yeah. Yeah. It depends on, uh, depends on where they are. Obviously I'm not going to talk about alcohol consumption with a kid unless the parent yes. has that, has that talk with me. But, right. but you know, inf inflammation to a certain extent is a good thing. Like some, yeah, for we, sure. When we do needling, like we yes. have to, we're trying to speed up the inflammation process. Same. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a certain point where like, yo, 
it's outside of my scope, but let's let's mm-hmm. talk about what you're taking. Like, why are we not getting that inflammation out of there? Mm-hmm. What are what are we eating? Do we need to potentially refer you to a dietitian, sports nutritionist, things of that nature? Mm-hmm. Do I need to get on the phone with one and just have a conversation, just so I have, so I can learn too what I need to for for you in this regard? Because it's not my scope. I didn't learn nutrition. I know my basic nutrition mm-hmm. from my experience. I know I've seen some studies. I've seen right. cre- creatine, how great that is, post concussion, things of that nature. But yeah. I haven't seen. But I'm not studied up on nutrition right which is beautiful to know again that's where i think medicine in general has gotten so much better than when i graduated from cairo school in 91 where mds hated dcs dcs hated mds Mm -hmm. pts were afterthoughts in these two worlds unless it was for this specific thing and Mm -hmm. acupuncture was just playing nuttiness and massage was foo-foo now people are coming together to say hey you know, just like on a, on a high end sports team, right? You guys Mm -hmm. have your orthopedic doctor, you have your Cairo, you have your massage therapists, you have your, they're all individual. Now we can create that kind of thing for, um, mom, dad, everybody can have that kind of care Mm -hmm. if they just have their, their network. I think that is so cool. Absolutely. Oh man. See this conversation, (laughs) go, go, go. Um, I do want to, I do want to, um, kind of follow up with, respect to what you're doing now in the community. You have a, um, an initiative where you're helping kids with literacy. Talk a little bit about your foundation because you're, you're, you're doing so much more than just helping people physically recover. You're helping kids get a, a jump start on their future. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I started Bruton's Books in 2015, a childhood literacy program focused on K through third graders in the DPS and previously the APS school system as well. Um, I originally thought about it to do something different than a football camp. A lot of athletes have their football camp, and I was always the guy who read a book in the cold tub, read book while getting treatment. Brian Dawkins would call me a nerd. All this, <laughs> what book you reading today, nerd, right? So, so that, was, that was my thing. I was always passionate about Since about you were a reading. kid, you loved reading. I loved reading when I was a kid, and then that was, that was my way away from football, yeah. even while we're in training camp. In the facility, did, right? and did you focus on any genre of reading, or just? I, I liked fiction, just fiction, fiction yeah. suspense yeah. type. Yeah. That was that was more my deal, just to get away from some reality. Absolutely, our reality was two days football pads, hammering and, it, yeah, hammering day in and day out, right? So, uh, just wanted to get away from get away from the hustle and bustle in that regard. Um, so, I started that foundation. We've been running since 2015. We've we've been able to you know, provide tutors through the reading corps when they were, when they were operational, partnered with Mahai United Way, um, diving into specific schools that have this vast, vast need of education. Um, so DPS since COVID has lost over a million dollars in books for the library. Are you kidding? So they're, so they're struggling there. Um, the tutoring program that we initially established, obviously reading corps doesn't exist anymore. So we're trying to establish another one in an elementary school and make it sustainable. So we've done great job, great job, my board members, people who help volunteer with the community as far as tutoring, going to the schools, um, providing books to the school, having kids have a chance to win bikes if they re- meet their reading goal. Because I'm a big cyclist and I love, I love the fact that education and cardiovascular kind of go hand in hand, like you can retain information. But it was crazy. I initially just started the, the Bruton's books just because I like to read. Wow. And then partnering with United Way, you understand like prison sizes are made based on reading level by third grade. 
you read you learn to read K through third grade, but at third grade you are reading to learn. So if you can't read proficiently at third grade, what type of success are you set up for if you're always yes. struggling? Yes. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's a huge skill set that there's no job that doesn't require you require you to read. And what so how do you guys do? What does it look like? So someone gets um, you have these programs where they can get bikes, where these young folks can get bikes and this kind of thing. Is it something where you distribute books? Yes, sir. So, is that what you do? So we've distributed books. We've partnered with the uh, Center for Talent Development Elementary School to kind of what's what's your needs and how can we address that? You know, we host a go- golf outing for that specific reason, the funding to, to make something sustainable in in that uh, in the schools respectively. Um, We've been very blessed to partner up with Trek. Trek Bikes have dis, dis, uh, distributed to us bikes over the last couple of years to to provide for these kids who reach their reading goals. So we kind of come up with a plan with teachers and staff. What what's the need? We do a needs analysis and we address address accordingly. Wow, I bet you have a waiting list of people that would like you to come in and, and we, support their classrooms or their schools. We've or, had a few schools reach out, and we're we're a small organization. You know, I, I want to keep my hands on it. I don't want it to be a too big of a problem where I can't be as involved as I want to be. I don't yeah. want it to be one that we're just throwing money at a problem. Yeah. I want to be involved. I want to go in there and check out what's our progress. I want to be heck, heck, be a tutor as well. You know, I did that when I was taking my undergrad classes and at PT school there mm-hmm. at there at the elementary school. So um, we're just trying to be involved as as much involved as we can in the in the school system to help these kids have success in their in their future life so we've been like i said we have a golf outing it's september 19th of this year at green valley ranch uh golf course and you know the funds go towards uh, providing some tutors and a tutoring program and digital tutoring for uh, a school in dps man thank you for doing that that is so cool thank you okay so one last i got two questions one is kind of a fun question the other one is a fun question all right and so here's the first one you're going to school, you're, you're rewinding the clock, mm-hmm. right? And it's time to go to college. You got to pick a college, Notre Dame or CU. Knowing, wait, 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 <laughs> knowing that CU has prime as their coach. Notre Dame. Okay. Notre Dame. Okay. I see. Dame. I just had to test it because uh, Deion Sanders making quite the, the oh, stir yeah, up there absolutely. in Boulder of getting getting blue chippers. So absolutely, absolutely. He. I mean, I would. I'd like to see him win five, six games, but yeah, from know, one. Yeah, from from the, one. The over under is pretty true. low from yeah, last year. That, that is true. <laughs> that is true. That's true. There is a lot of hype behind that, and yep. you know, hopefully, it comes to fruition, and there's success there, and then. You know that program gets back to what it was in the '90s when they cheated and okay, time to end that conversation. <laughs> hey, um, the, the next question is: Have you found one piece of advice that was given to you, or that you've learned along the way, that has become fundamentally integrated as to who you are and and really all about your life that you would be willing to share with us that we could learn from too? <sighs> what did I learn? I learned so much. It's going to be hard to. Yeah, you're a doctor for God's sake. Right. You learned a ton. I learned, learned a lot. I think, I think self criticism. Like we circle back from earlier today. Yeah. Like instead of just patting yourself on the back, like really look at how you could be better, how you could do better. You know, at work, at school, and your respective sport, at life. How could how could you do better? Are you willing to learn from those mistakes? Are you willing to make 
make those changes necessary, you know, and I think that was that was a huge part, especially in, in PT school. We did this thing called CAPE, and you had to watch yourself. And I remember some of my classmates, like, they hated watching themselves. Like, it was nerve-wracking, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is second nature to me because yeah, game we, watched, yeah, we watched ourselves practice games. Like, how could, I, how could I be better? How could I be a better practitioner? How can I, how can I be more relatable to, to the patients? Do I need to be a chameleon and, and adapt according to what the healthcare professional standard is as far as vernacular and conversation? And ultimately, looking back at it, it's like I'm more exhausted if I do that. So I'm going to speak myself, be myself. I'm knowledgeable. I might not talk the same. We might not. We. I might cuss a little bit more in our treatments. But if you can relate to me there, if you want that locker room feel, if you want that, that's how. That's how I'm going to treat. And if you respond well to it, great. And if it doesn't work, there's no harm, no foul there. But I can't change who I am. Yes. You know, uh-huh. because I'm going to be fundamentally burnt out because I'm having to constantly put on a new mask every single patient that walks in. Dude, that is so brilliant, yeah. so good. Yeah. Last question. Yes, sir. If people want to get a hold of you either to learn more about coming in to see you as a patient or they want to learn more about the foundation, how they could support it, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect? Um, so they can jump on the websites. Uh, there's brutonsbooks.org. So that's B-R-U-T-O-N-S books, B-O-O-K-S.org. And then there's also Between the Lines with an S. A lot of people miss that. Between the Lines, PT as in physicaltherapy.com for. And you can see um, what we treat, how we treat um, myself, my other physical therapist, as well as, you know, with Bruton's books, you can see things that we've done. You can see the golf outing that we, ha- we are having put together. You can register. Come support. Um, come swing for literacy for sure. Oh, I love that, man. This has been such a treat no, for me, great. such a joy. And yes, thank you so much for what you do in the community for our, um, for our people to keep them healthy. Thank you for what you've done for our city in help bringing a championship here. It. And, and, uh, listen, we're still all living somewhat off the high of that. Cause it certainly hasn't it's been, been a great long time. since then, <laughs> but, time. um, this has been such a treat for me. So I wish you the best and you always have a friend in, in us here at Ramos. Love. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And for those of you watching, please, if this uh, made a difference in your life, please share it in some way, send it to someone, uh, vi- the video, the audio, whatever it is. And, and if you have anything, any guests or topics you'd like us to explore, send them my way. It's Jim at RamosLaw.com. And I'll be happy to uh, get a guest on to talk about that with you and for you. So in the meantime, until we talk next week, remember to go out there, get it done and make a difference. 